What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. And in this episode, myself and Philip sit down and have a chat with Mr. James Wazeter. Mr. James Wazeter is an avid competitive shooter in the Georgia area, and he's also been a really active member over at the Modern Day Rifleman Network. And James has come out to a couple of classes with us to help um, us with uh, instructor duties and assistant instructor duties, and he wants to come out and develop himself as a teacher. And this episode is really cool because we sit down and we kind of chat with James about his experiences being a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer and doing that in a digital regard for his clients. And he's got a lot of great points. He's got a really great thought process and uh, his own personal systematic approach to precision shooting. And we appreciate that perspective and all the work that he's done for us over at the Modern Day Rifleman Network. So without further ado, guys, enjoy the episode. And you can find Mr. James on the interwebs on Instagram at the Wazitor Way. So enjoy the episode, guys. How good is Y'all are like trained on that, right? Well, sometimes we screwed up. <laughs> well, Brian, Brian's, Brian has told us once, he's just like, guys, you need to give me a sound clap. If I don't have a sound clap, I can't actually do this shit for you. And now this is, um, I have to, I got to let everybody know where this is a redo because I accidentally deleted the file that we recorded in Florida, which I'm super disappointed about. It was a bonehead mistake, and I apologize. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. James, I love your wall. I, the uh, I think for me, it's the plant. This one or this one? <laughs> no, no, the one. Should I? Balance. I know you're all about like, it. No, it's, it's the it's, feng shui. It's, dude, super feng shui, symmetry. right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh man, I kind of like the watch right there okay. because it's yeah, it blends in with the tree in the background, so it's unobtrusive. But then the plant with the white pot over here on your right is just it breaks up the outline. It's very feng shui. Did? I mean, I could be totally wrong. I don't know shit about feng shui, but you got white and white. I mean, yeah, it's good. And is that rifles. your yeah? Is that your right. office like for work, like your desk? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, like, I mean, having a one-year-old, she pretty much, like, we, this is her home. We're just, like, present in it, right? <laughs> and so I was desperately wanting to create a space where I could be like, okay, I need to do my designs design. for the hardscaping, uh, editing, and then stuff like this. And then, yeah, uh, looks oh, good. you know, even have Adrian, uh, you know, in the very few that times very... that Livy will let her get away, you know, have a space that's not just like toys everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I remember those it. days. They're fun. They're fun. They're fun. Indeed. I mean, she's indeed. She's a little wonderful ball of terror. She <laughs> just destroys things. Anytime she sees yeah. it's like organized or like things on desk or drawer she's like absolutely not like, yeah we can't have any of that that has to go on the floor it's when they're not it's she's how old now uh she's uh 15 months 
Okay. So not quite, not quite starting to develop the ego yet. And that's like, uh, it's funny because everybody calls it the terrible twos and the terrible threes. And it's actually the time when we as little micro mini humans figure out this word, I and me and mine. Right. And so we start figuring out like, oh, I'm my own little human and I want that. And now why, why are you telling me I can't have that? Now I'm super pissed. Right. And so. I don't know. I feel like she's getting like that now. Yeah. <laughs> She's definitely, she's very audible about like when she doesn't get her exact way and she doesn't even know what her like way <laughs> it's that already she begun. wants. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you'll be like, why are you, why are you mad? And then you'll give her what she wants. And then she's like, nah, nah, I didn't want this actually. And I'm mad that you yeah, incorrectly. I'm mad that you made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I used to know you gave me what I want. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, they're going to figure it out. Like they, like, I didn't realize how fast kids figure out how to basically like rule that roost and they figure it out super fast. They know exactly how to manipulate and they learn it. Like that's like one of their first skills is manipulation. Hey, if I need something, I'm going to behave in this way to get you to do what I want you to do. And that's manipulation at its core. So it's funny. It's funny to watch from uh, from an outside perspective, now. <laughs> from afar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not so funny for me. Yeah, definitely no, not that's funny good. for Adrian. But. That's super super good. So I take it they're attached to the hip, right? Like that's pretty much it. She's getting uh, a lot better. She was mm-hmm. it was really bad for a while, um, where. She would let if she was like everything was going well for her, she was okay with me holding her. But if anything mm-hmm. was wrong, it had to be the mother or it had mm-hmm. to be Adrian. And uh, but now recently with visiting family, uh, you've, you know, even uncles are holding her and she's like totally cool about it. So that was mm-hmm. that was awesome to see her kind of transition to that. And you know, the, the grandmas and grandpas all you know holding and it not being. You know, not being a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Adrian's mother, uh, she that you know she was uh, she was here along with my mother uh, when we first had her. So I think there's a little bit better of a connection there initially, um, and they they they've probably seen her the most, and so she was, and then maybe also being female, I don't know. Um, she was more okay with them holding her first Mm. and then came like the, um, you know, Adrian's father, stuff like that coming in. It's the vibes, man. It's the vibes. It's the female vibes. Makes sense. Totally. Yeah. But luckily she's transitioning into being definitely, you know, very much okay with me holding her uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, but that's a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah. Where she like runs up and holds her hands up and you're like, that's cool. Yeah. And then she wants yeah, to be yeah. let down and then immediately picked back up. Like, all right. I think she just likes going for the vertical ride up and down. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Like, all right. Get a little workout here. <laughs> so, James, you've got a almost out of infancy, right? And um, that keeps that keeps you quite busy. So 
Tell everybody who James Wazeter is. Yeah, um, I guess I, you know, per- professionally, I do uh, currently do hardscapes, um, uh, patios, pavers, stuff like that. Uh, been shooting for a for a pretty dang long time. I guess it's going on two decades now. I started off with uh, air rifles, still into air rifles. Uh, when I was a preteen and pretty much self-taught, um, we didn't have enough land in Texas to shoot centerfire, but certainly had enough to, to train and, and have a lot of fun with the air rifles. So I did that for a really long time, then got into centerfire as soon as I could purchase my own rifle and had an old Savage 10 that I like completely tore apart and built up with better parts and um then uh, another component was uh, online coaching and a little bit of in-person coaching but mostly online with athletes uh, and that was a uh, another a, a long with long range precision bolt rifles that has been probably my uh, parallel but i would say secondary to precision rifle passion you know big time passion um yeah I want to learn more about that. I want to learn more about the the online fitness coaching and and how you how you manage that with multiple clients. I think that's I think that's interesting. And go back to how old were you when you purchased? When you said, "Hey, I was able to purchase my own centerfire rifle." How old were you when you did that? Oh, that was that was eighteen. Yeah, so you right 18. when I turned eighteen, uh, <clears throat> and I had you know being from Texas, I had shot quite a bit of centerfire rifles mm-hmm. uh the first centerfire rifle I ever shot i think i was maybe maybe 13 or 14 it was a really lightweight 300 wind mag uh so that was a that was probably the wrong rifle to shoot for a first time but that's sure. kind of i think a lot of us go through that of getting handed this crazy magnum and we're like here and this is um and a lot of like 22 long rifle stuff and more varmint rounds um but yeah that was the first time i was able to like hey i'm I'm, i know i'm more into the target rifle style and that's what i'm gonna build out and and it was like a a a savage 10 and like a i think it was a chote stop so a chote oh yeah yeah it's kind of like a a poor man's mcmillan or something yeah and i loved the mcmillan aesthetic and all that so i was like yeah that's the one i can afford and and I, I kept it in that for its entire life, but pretty much everything else got, yeah, got upgrade to what P P and G, is it P and D P and G or PTG? Uh, the, oh, that, PTG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I had like the spiral bolt and all those oversized parts, and it had a lot of badger parts on it, bottom metal and mm-hmm. uh, rail rings, all that. What cartridge did you uh, did you roll with first? I bought it in a 223. The options okay. was a 243 um, mm-hmm. Winchester Super Short Magnum and then the 223. And I think I just probably looked at the cost of the ammunition there and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to, I'm not buying that. I just want to, oh, yeah. You know, what yep. I had available to me as a range was uh, initially 300 yards i believe um and so the 223 was pretty was 
definitely appropriate for that. And then I quickly realized when I moved into a thousand yard range that that was a very difficult round to shoot um, at a thousand yards. It was just not, yeah. you know, and so that's when I moved into, got it rebarreled again into a six, five Creedmoor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, it definitely can be done, but it's a struggle when you shoot little bitty bullets like that out that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, now, and it seems that it's much more capable, but back then I didn't, there were definitely ballistic calculators out, but mm-hmm. I wasn't using one. It was mostly, right. it was like the old school, like, I'm just going to walk it out mm-hmm. and continue to log and, and a lot of guessing on what it would be. Um, but sure. there was like the weaponized math, nothing, you know, Ford off obviously wasn't around, uh, applied ballistics probably had something, but I think it was the one that you put on your computer. And so you just yeah. kind of print out like a very generic one to get you and then mm-hmm. you'd, you know, validate it yourself. Yeah. Um, so this was probably what, um, <clears throat> for you probably like what, 12 years ago. Yeah. I think it was, I think about that rifle 2011. Yep. Yeah, so, 2010, yeah. 2011, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very yep. cool, man. And so here you are, and you, um, you're a super active member within the Modern Day Rifleman Network, which is awesome, and um, always helping people out, always answering questions, always putting out uh, really solid information. And um, you've come out and helped us for a few courses uh, pig river and now, um, Altus and, um, you're, you clearly have a great, um, you clearly have great mannerisms with students probably because you've spent a lot of times doing uh, other customer service related stuff like fitness coaching and just being a, a, a business owner that provides a service, you know, you're interacting with people on probably a daily basis in that regard. And it shows in your ability to work with students. And, um, it's, uh, it's always a great time to have you out at the range and, um, you're a great asset to everything that we do. And we hope to see more of you, uh, in the coming future. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know we've talked about a few, I I think I shot Phil a message yesterday about some other ones that I'm interested in. Uh, but yeah, as many as I can get, I, I love it. Um, it's really cool to blend those two passions of teaching and precision rifle together. Uh, I've more recently, I'm still <clears throat> doing it. I just took on actually a client for online training, um, just an old client and buddy. So I still do it here and there to more as a, to just help out, I guess, than doing it in a professional sense, um, or I wouldn't consider a professional sense. And so that was uh, when I first reached out to Phil. I've, we had that conversation of like, hey, man, like I really miss that element or component to my life. And uh, I want to I want to give this a swing as far as blending these two things, because why not blend two passions if you can? For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Phil. That's always, you know, what do you say, Phil? It's like I, I'm uh, I'm blessed to be able to uh my passion is teaching and I'm just blessed to be able to teach my hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think, and I truly mean that, right? I think the, the, I found for me, I enjoyed teaching at a, even at a very younger age, uh, in high school, I was, you know, well, up until my junior year, I was a 4.0 student. 
and um i enjoyed doing like i guess study groups with uh like my peers that are were that kind of struggling and um you know i enjoyed just seeing the light bulbs and so that that immediately carried over even when i joined the marine corps um of you know learning and then being able to teach as again you know the influx of new marines after a deployment or whatever um enjoyed taking young marines and being able to teach them the craft because at that point i was already in the cyber community but a lot of it right was just regurgitation of what's on the powerpoint slide and what your what your seniors taught you uh, but i still you know enjoyed those light bulbs and then now you know continuing to do it i was actually just sitting in the barber chair uh yesterday and I was thinking, so 10 years ago, 2014, uh, today, I was um, still deployed on my last deployment. Uh, I was a chief scout. And um, I think at, at that point, my vision started becoming a little clearer in terms of like what I wanted to do if I decided to get out of the Marine Corps. Because I, I think at that point still, I was very... We talked about this actually in Michael's episode that is now going to probably flip-flop. But uh, I think we talked about how I um, was I was intentionally going to be a career marine, right? And but if I think in the back of my head, if I decided to get out, I was like, okay, hey, I wanted to teach in some capacity, and why not be able to blend, you know, teaching with long range shooting? And so now, you know, fast forward ten years, here we are. But I would have never guessed that we would be doing it and um, and what we're doing now. So I think it's pretty cool and. Um, James, I appreciate, uh, again, initially you reaching out, um, via the modern day rifleman network, and it just goes to show how powerful that network is and, and what it's become. Um, but you know, you reached out to me, I think beginning of last year, and we just figured out a way to kind of integrate, right. Um, you to the modern day rifleman network and your presence there. Right. And, um, really you know, your ability to articulate specific uh, topics and especially tr with regard to training. And I think that is what the precision rifle community truly lacks is like a, a clear focus training plan other than like 15 minutes of dry fire, right? It's like, well, what does 15 minutes dry fire actually look like without intention? You know, because I think people, right, I, I, would, I would always see, especially like I think around COVID, like people like dry firing, but they're just slapping the trigger and then running the bolts as fast as they can <laughs> right like for 15 minutes it's like okay is that is that really productive and so you know what bothers me the most is when people just open their bolt and close it yeah and i'm like oh yeah this is just like ingraining not running the bolt the way you should exactly yeah. exactly but um, i want to hear your approach right because you know you have already done the the very first one was target acquisition. You built that series out, but uh, talk to us about your approach and how you've uh, blended, you know, your um, familiarization with coming up with a training plan on the fitness side to now uh, precision rifle. Like, talk us through that kind of process. Yeah, I mean, I I think I made a post a little, maybe a little over a year ago. It might hurt some feelings, but it was basically like if you're training for the unknown through just arbitrary drills it's you're you're not training you're playing and because there's lacking intention there's lacking structure and it's like hey a 21 dot drill is a really good drill but if you don't have an intention you're not learning something from that drill to apply to your training 
then it's like, hey, dude, you just shot circles on a piece of paper. Like, you know, it's right. Maybe you got something very transient out of it, but long term, you're not utilizing that drill in the capacity that it could be to better yourself um, over the haul of uh, a couple months, a year, whatever it might be. And so <clears throat> as far as coaching goes, you have a few different uh, pretty big tasks that you have to accomplish. Uh, the first one is the structuring of it. So just taking somebody from training arbitrarily and just kind of piecemealing stuff, whether it be clicking away on dry fire or in live fire and bringing a structure to that with actual intention and goals outlined. And it's like, hey, this is what we want to achieve. And this is the way that we are going to attempt to achieve it. And then that rolls into the second part of that is that it's experimentation, whether it's with a elite level athlete and you're trying to shatter ceilings, you're going to be doing experimentation to figure out like, well, we got to figure out what works at this high of a level. Or if you're trying <clears throat> on the other end of the spectrum to figure out what, Hey, what's the most minimum amount of work that we can do to progress this person because they have an incredibly busy schedule. Uh, they are passionate about this, but they're only going to be able to uh, allocate this amount of resources to it. So we had to experiment and figure out what works, what doesn't, and what's the least I can do to get a beneficial adaptation to them. And then the, um, the last part of that, so we have the structuring, the experimentation, um, you then have to be able to, well, you then have to be able to test and adapt it all, basically. So finding a way to track it very, um, tr track it efficiently so you're not wasting their time and all that because they want you to essentially be a problem solver for them. Mm -hmm. And so the concepts there between all athletes, whether they're a football player or a weight um, or Olympic lifter or a golfer or a rifleman, it all kind of, you know, you, you still have those three tasks, right? You have problem solving, you have the structuring, you have the experimentation. So that's the way that I look at it with myself when I create my own workouts to say for the actual precision rifle. And that's what I'm looking at when I like when I write down that or wrote that target acquisition article, you can, I believe it's part three, like literally goes into like, Hey, this is how you can build out a workout for yourself there. Uh, and then, so there's a lot of different ways that you can create that adaptation. So is it volume, is it intensity, or is it uh, variability? So I even outlined, like, these are ways that you can intensify training this. This is ways that you can add volume to it, which is basically just reps. And then this is a way that you can add in variability to it. You breaking it down this way, this is how, um, in the grand scheme of things, this is the uh, just a deeper dive into curriculum development. All right. And how do you actually develop a curriculum? You work backwards. You say, okay, like I want this person or student to be at this level by the time this training is completed. Okay, cool. That's the, that's a reasonable end state goal. Now let's back plan and figure out what the skills are that that individual needs to achieve that final goal 
And then you just basically break it down and back plan all the way up till, okay, well, this is the bare bones. This is where we got to start. And so it's different. It's different for you in the, in the fitness community because, um, the results that you're going to get are going to take a lot longer. So for you to see, right. And so unless you're doing blood work and stuff, like, you know, are you doing that with your clients? Is that something that you do like regularly or? Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it kind of depends on what level they're, that person's at. Um, right. Yeah. So, there are clients that it goes into blood work. Yeah. So then you'd be able to have a little bit more speed at which you could, yeah, of see like, okay, Hey, we did this. So we got an effect here. And the same thing I think holds true with shooting, but it's actually, I think it's faster in shooting, especially if you're giving a student, um, purpose built drills to say, Hey, I want to see where you're at. I want to see, I want to video, I want you to video yourself. I want you to execute this at whatever speed at which you can accurately shoot. And it's going to give you such a data dump on how you need to customize the program that, um, the student can usually see results really fast because you're like, Oh, okay, we need to fix this, this, and this. So now I'm going to pull from my bag of tricks and I'm going to have you do this movement or this drill along with this one and this one. And being able to explain that and say, the reason why we're doing this is to correct this particular problem uh, or find a solution for this particular problem. Um, and you can see results super fast. And, um, I would love to see and can like for us internally, I want to continue to, to see how that, how that process or system can be uh, adapted to uh, modern day sniper, modern day rifleman. Cause I think it's going to be a huge game changer in, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of going into like, it, it's kind of like a skill acquisition Yeah, with the, the class versus a, with like the i guess ongoing programming and just kind of keeping it more focused towards precision rifle you'd be layering in your yeah. the complexity of hey you know how to you know you can you have 90 degrees of trigger control but now i'm going to put you on these crazy positions and i want you to can maintain that and then yeah even layering in just not even going to that far but layering in the different uh elements that they have to put together in their own process mm-hmm. where they can do it. And then, you know, I think y'all would agree the longest component there is it going to a uh, subconscious uh, action there where they don't have to yep. consciously think like, okay, well, ground my rifle, square my body, build my brain, like every single little step that they certainly should be going through that in, in say an intro class and a, a novice level to get that, uh, neurological pathway just built and they should have extreme focus there and they need to have that extreme focus on every single step doing it correctly to build the proper neuro pathway and you know we i'm sure y'all have said it before and it's said often in this uh in the firearms realm that it's very difficult to break a shooter or a rifleman yep. of habits if they you know it might be more difficult to train or typically is more difficult to train somebody that's been shooting for say 10 15 20 30 40 years mm-hmm. because they have these deeply ingrained pathways versus <laughs> if you just take a brand new shooter you can probably get them to a you know at the next level faster than you could that person with bad habits 
It's like, hey, real quick, you know, not to interrupt. Oh, okay. I got to do my story real quick. And, and Kaylin, you know this, uh, but perfect example is sniper school students, our best shooters statistically are the boys from the city who had never shot a rifle typically before where our country boys, you know, there'd be a lot of guys that again, like this is what they, you know, what they signed up for and they did not do well marksmanship wise. Sometimes they would go all the way to the third taste. Sometimes they would get dropped for marksmanship, right? They'd really good field skills wise, but did not do well when it came to uh, marksmanship as, you know, growing up with a rifle in their hand. Probably because they were handed a 300 wind mag like me and <laughs> developed these terrible habits because that's yeah, all they I mean, got to shoot, you know? Yeah. There's something to be said when it's just like, you know, um, I'm good enough. I'm a good enough shot to hit a deer at a hundred yards. Right. Uh, whether that be from, you know, when I, where I grew up, that was all shotgun slugs. Like you had a, a Remington 870 12 gauge with, you know, a 21 inch barrel with, with, uh, with sights on it, a front post and a rear blade. And that was how you went deer hunting. And if you could hit a 10 inch pie plate at a hundred yards, like a few times, Hey man, you're good. You know, from the offhand, you know, and we weren't even taught, like we weren't even using slings back then. And, um, that basis of, of marksmanship was what was set so that when I did join the military and I was under a structured program, a lot of that stuff like made sense and it was like, oh, okay, that's really how this is supposed to work. Cool. I can apply that. Oh, sweet. Now I can get into the sling supported position. Man, my sight picture doesn't even move. So marksmanship came really easy to me uh, just because, uh, well, I read about it all the time as a kid, but uh, because it was something that I wanted to do. But once I had the the basis set because I read those books that said, hey, bad habits are super hard to break, so make sure that you do it the right way the first time. And then, you know, later on in life, we learn about how the brain actually does learn and how those neural pathways are deeply established and ingrained um, from like a science standpoint, then it all makes sense from like myelination. The more you use that neural pathway over and over and over again, it's going to be more heavily myelinated, which is basically more insulation on the wire. So the electrical current's going to flow through that wire, you know, with with um, high efficiency. And when we break those old neural hab- those old neural pathways, you're literally trying to um, number one rebuild a new neural pathway and and myelinate it to the point where the old one has already been established enough so that you can override it. And that's a challenge. That's tough to do. And it can be a real, it can be a real annoyance for students when you've got a coach standing over the top of you and saying, nope, nope, do it again. Nope, do it again. Nope, do it again. And here, this is a video of you doing it again. And so it's not a bad thing. It's just you, the, the individual has to have the, the patience and the discipline to be able to say to themselves, all right, I know that I'm not going to get this right. A matter of fact, I'm going to get it wrong a lot more times than I'm going to get it right because I'm trying to break this, this habit and establish a new pathway. Um, so I went to a pistol class with, um, uh, Mike Seeklander was teaching this pistol class and I went with, um, a, uh, an old, an old Recondo, um, <laughs> Jim Elder. And, uh, some of you guys that are, you know, older in the reconnaissance community might know Jim Elder, uh, by name, but he was a legend on the East coast. And he's just like a 
giant gargantuan human being. Like his hands are like baseball gloves. He can shoot. He can shoot a Glock 21. Like I can shoot a Glock 19. Like it's, they're the same pistol, but his, it looks the same because his hands are so freaking big. Um, and so Mike was trying to get him to do something. And I, I remember, I think it was, uh, hand placement on the draw he and so like the old school recondos they were taught a specific way and you can see the you can see the lineage of when they were taught based upon watching them shoot you can be like oh yeah he was like that dude was from like the mid 90s because that's the mannerisms and those are the techniques that he's displaying this dude was trained in you know the mid 2000s and then the late 2000s and so on and so forth as the techniques evolved and people were learning new things as you know we learned from the global war on terror how um certain techniques and and practices either worked or didn't work and uh he i remember jim was like mike was trying to get him to do something and do this this uh, hand placement and jim's like man i'm like so far down the road I don't even want to give it a, I don't even want to try because yeah, it ain't, it's, gonna it ain't going to happen, man, yeah. especially not in these three days, you know? But so, yeah. yeah, but it's, um, but if the methodology's there and the intention, like looking at stages, like Philip and I, um, are working on this, like I need to increase my, um, my, my level of being a competitor. Like I'm a very competent shooter, but now I need to shift my mindset of being not just a competent shooter, but now I have to be a competitor and look at things from a different perspective, which has been the challenge for me personally. Um, so like looking at a stage and first analyzing and saying, okay, what does the match director want to test me on? What are the skills that this guy wants to test me on? Okay, so now I can look at that and, and break that stage down into skill blocks instead of this uh, insurmountable task. Right. You can say, oh, OK, well, um, I'm going to be tested on um, movement from position to position. It's going to be uh, strong kneeling positions and I've got to move five times and get 10 shots off. Right. So now I can go into my bag of tricks and say, all right, so target identification is not going to be that big of a deal. However, uh, rapidly moving from position to position and digging into my bag of tricks of making sure that my indexing skills are at the forefront, forefront of my mind, making sure that I'm, that I'm executing all these tasks and these skills based upon what I've just analyzed in front of me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. Then that's all. <clears throat> and that can all be trained, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could identify, Hey, when, I mean, you could take down a few matchbooks is a good way to do it break every single one of those stage down like you just did and categorize all those different skill sets and see, okay, well, you can even categorize it on like, what am I most likely to, uh, if you've, I don't know, gaming is such like a broad term and people use it so differently, but you could kind of game something that way and say, Hey, I know this match director, like this, is, these are the things that he likes to test shooters on. Mm -hmm. And I guess you could game it by, structuring your workouts to better equip you to score better at his matches right but what i would do is look at what are your weak points and what are your strengths and then you're going to try to develop a program that 
fortifies and maintains your strengths while bringing up your weaknesses. And that's mm -hmm. very difficult to do because mm -hmm. typically <clears throat> people do like a very block style of training. And so it's like, Hey, I'm going to focus, you know, I'm going to brutally focus on this one thing. And a lot of the other stuff just goes at the wayside and you neglect it. And then you're like, hey, well, now this is a strength, but those things that were strengths are now have dwindled down into weaknesses. And so now you rush over and you got to work on that. And then that other thing became a weakness and you jump to that. And then you're back over here because this became a weakness. So it, right. And, you know, before you know it, 12 months has gone by and you're like, well, dang, dude, I just kind of like cycled through all the skill sets or, you know, a few skill sets at a time of being good at it and then getting bad at other things. And I kept flip-flopping back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that's where it goes into the, you know, the problem-solving experimentation and then ultimately structuring correctly to figure out how can I balance all of this to a point where, I'm either at very minimum maintaining skill sets because they're solid <clears throat> while simultaneously improving others and then knowing when to, to, to basically identify, Hey, that's falling off. And so mm -hmm. the, the maintenance no longer works there. So we gotta, we gotta tweak that and experiment with, Hey, what we thought was working on maintenance actually doesn't work on maintenance. We need to, you know, up whatever the focus is on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could, that would be a good way to actually work out your workouts if you uh, have already or have not identified weak points. I would certainly start there by identifying, hey, what, you know, outline, like, I mean, you already have a big goal outlined there. So it's like, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to, you know, win this many matches and place this well and get that many points? All right, well, how do I do that? Well, I need to perform better here, here, and here, and you know, you just keep going down, like you said, reverse engineer it. And eventually you're going to get to like the weak spots mm -hmm. and build that, build that armor up or build that, what that, that link in the chain stronger. So Phil, when you, when you were shooting quite a bit, like how many you shot, what you said, you shot 16 matches the year that you won the finale in 2018. Yeah. Between two day and, and, uh, one day. But shot 16 because i was at i mean i'd go to the range every day because i was um at gunworks right so right. when i i'd close up i'd probably shoot in between 30 to 50 rounds just focusing on you know uh one specific thing right it's been a while since i've actually got back to that and i mean it's gonna be completely transparent right i, I don't really touch a rifle now in between classes much i just kind of Training, my training is competitions and my training is, you know, shooting in front of students just as of late, just because of everything that's been going on and, um, whatever the case might be. But yeah, I was literally shooting 30 to 50 rounds four times a week. So like 200 rounds a week. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, getting ready to go to match or so shooting 250 rounds that for that week. Um, if it's a one day, then a hundred rounds. And, um, you know, I, I just started really getting comfortable with, you know, my wall is all my processes, right? And by the time that, you know, I was got to the finale, I had already, you know, shot like Jake's match, uh, the Blue Ridge match, where it was like that meatball match. We shot that together, Kalen. And then mm -hmm. before that was down in Arizona where I took third. 
I believe it was like third place. Yeah, uh, first was Jake. Dan Marchini would say, yeah, so it was third place. That was a really fun match. And um, so I think I, I started gaining momentum. I started feeling really good uh, being a competitor, right? And I, I think that, like, again, when we did that, when we had um, Steve from, um, you know, coming to the Modern Day Rifle Network to do his class, mm-hmm. like, that was one of the things that really stuck with me. And I didn't realize that um, I had, sh- like, framed my mindset to that. Right of of like oh, being competitor, self image, yeah, yeah, like being a competitor, right? Because again, before I guess my mindful transition, you know, I t- we talk about this all the time, Kalen. Like I was like so like black and white, like no, this is like what the stage is. I'm gonna run it one bag, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna try to game it, right? I'm gonna shoot it as it was, um as it was designed, right, by the, you know, intention of the match director. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, what I found was guys at the top level, right, and, and again, I, at that point I was frowning upon it because I didn't understand, but they were just solving the problem more efficiently, right? Right. Um, because it is a game. At the end of the day, like, shooting a PRS match is a game, right? And the way that you look at it is ultimately how, A, you're going to perform, but how you're going to perceive the the training value that you get out of you know uh, prs style competitions and you know i think i was just thinking about this the other day a lot of times people do focus on uh the fact that it is a game versus the training value that they get out of it so it kind of deters people from wanting to even show up right like a lot of hunters like you know you'll see a lot of comments like the inner hunter like that's not hunting because guys are using you know big bags it's like dude you look at matt alwan who's killing the inner hunter and he's a solid ass hunter. Like he killed like three or four elk. You you can't tell me that dude's not a hunter, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, yep. Through and through, and yep. all the training that he does through the NRL hunter and and how proficient he is behind a gun, like you know. And so I think one thing that I I would love to do is is really kind of like portray the message of like, hey, you don't have to, you know, go compete at these events to be a competitor, you know look at the training value that it's going to provide you that you can't get anywhere else. I know for a mm-hmm. fact you can't get it at your local range when you're shooting off of a bench, when you got targets that are like in the same, you know, in the same lane. Um, you know, you're not getting this the, the diversity of different wind patterns or positions uh, in just different situations that you're most likely going to find yourself in the field. You know, a lot of times it, because of our ego, I think, because of people's egos, like they don't want to show up and fail or get last place. It deters them from wanting to, you know, just show up yeah and then we like the people that are making those comments oh that's not really hunting you know what what we um what we reject within ourselves we're going to project outwards onto other people and so like those people that are saying that they're like yeah i really want to do that um but i know that my skills are not up to par and so instead of me admitting to myself that my skills are not up to par i'm just going to you know, project my negativity outwards towards whatever it is that I see. And that's a, that's a common psychological thing. And, you know, everybody, we're human beings and everybody, everybody does it until you start recognizing that you do it. And then you go, okay, well, that's why I do that. Let's, let's address that and figure it out. So that way, um, I don't, do that anymore and i can embrace that it's called integration i can integrate that and then it doesn't bother me anymore because you've accepted that that's exactly what it is like for the longest time accepting the fact that competition was a game and that it had 
radically departed um, what it was when I first started com- shooting competitions. Um, and maybe it wasn't a radical departure. Maybe it was just my departure, right? My, my perspective of it. And so looking at it now from that point of view as it is, as it is a game, it basically allows you, it gives you permission to play. It gives you permission to play the game. And so you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if, if those, if those dudes are all doing it, then if I'm not doing it, I'm hampering my ability. Um, because at this point in time, raw skill is, is not really what cuts it anymore. It's not raw skill. It's experience being a competitor and your mindset of how you look at it. So, you know, the skills with a rifle are pretty much, I mean, because the equipment is, is such the way it is today that, um, you know, and even then, you know, you can take a guy that's a proficient shooter and you can give him a factory rifle, um, and say, shoot this thing. All right, cool. Let's get it zeroed. Let's figure out how fast the bullets are going so we can figure out where they're at in time and space. Um, I kind of, I mean, the wind is going to do what the wind's going to do. Um, and after that, it's just shooting, right? It's just shooting and problem solving. So, you know, you can be, you can limit your ability by the equipment that you shoot. But at the same time, if you're a proficient shooter, um, the equipment shouldn't matter. Oh, I think there's something to be said about like, you know, being fundamentally sound and then like jumping into competitive shooting, right? And I want to like look back at my journey when I first started and, and you know, what I, what I was already teaching at cyber school and I started competing. Sure, I had to learn a whole new different style of shooting, um, but like my, um, my learning curve was pretty or I guess uh, not learning curve, but, uh, my, um, my progression curve was super steep, right? Like, I mean, I picked up things really quickly and then within, I know, uh, maybe like two or three months, I mean, within my local matches, I was consistently getting, you know, top three, you know, even doing the regional stuff, you know, top 10, where a lot of the guys that were already seasoned competitors had been competing in the regional stuff and, uh, national stuff for years, right? They were starting to like fall behind. And I think trying to tie that to like focus training, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I was able to bring with my eyes to when I started becoming a competitor, I realized, okay, well, when I shoot like a PRS barricade or this standing, you know, stage, I looked at it from as what James was talking about earlier, like, okay, what is the match director? What is he trying to, you know, train me on or, or, or test my ability in? And I realized when I would look at that specific stage and I was like, okay, this is my standing position, this is my kneeling position. And if I did do bat, if I did bat, bat on that, then I would take that, okay, hey, I clearly need uh, work on my standing position. So then I'd go to the schoolhouse and when the students were, you know, doing um, uh, range estimation, I'd fire like 10, 20 rounds. And that was my sustainment training um, of like, okay, hey, I'm going to try to recreate this, this stage um, you know, during the work week and, uh, iron out my kinks and then, you know, eventually go back. But I think too, one of the things that we also talked about as well, Caitlin is like, it was, it, it maybe took until last year, maybe, yeah, maybe last year where I actually now started to re- go back to focus on shooting like 90 second stages and 120 second stages to just for me to f- like work on my time management. But before I was just 
working on isolated tasks, right? Getting into the kneeling position, building breaks, getting into the standing position, building breaks, one shots at, you know, um, a thousand to, to work on my wind calls. I never really brought them together because, you know, I think what we did see was competitive shooters when they were trained, they were just trained like 90 second stages without, again, any intention as, as uh, James says, like they're just playing at this point. Right. And it's true. Right. And it, because like, it's like, what value are they getting out of it other than repetition? For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're using the same things over and over again, then you're not going to, but if you look at it and say, okay, well, you know, today I'm going to break down and I'm going to be working on uh, one shot drills from the standing and the kneeling position. Okay. So my one shot drills, what distance at which do, um, do I want to work on those skills? And that's going to be dictated by how much wind do you want to introduce in the equation? Right. So if you want to work all, if you want to just isolate building positions and working on time management and like time budget, then just keep those targets inside 500 yards at two minutes of angle. And unless the wind's super howling, then, you know, you're not super focused on wind and you can just focus on building good positions. Um, but then if you want to stretch those legs and you want to keep the target at two minutes and you have the abil- availability, push the distance out to, you know, eight, 900 yards. And now you have the, now you have wind as a, as another layer to take into account. And so that's how, that's how you guys could possibly look at, you know, scaling your training, um, and, and adding different layers of, uh, of difficulty or complexity. Yeah. I mean, typically people break down you know, skills or like on the, on the coaching side, we, we would probably I mean, Phil talked about this yesterday. You break things down into like technical or tactical. Um, you know, so tactical, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, high speed black gear, stuff like that. It's more in the sense of how are you approaching that stage or how are you going to approach the setup for that hunt or that shot you're taking on that hunt. And so the tactics that you're going to use implementing your techniques and the techniques are more of the fundamentals there. And so you can break those both down into subunits and you're going to get a lot of crossover between those subunits where you can kind of tackle multiple focuses at the same time. So instead of just running like a 90 second, you know, um, stage where you blow 10 rounds, it's like, okay, well you can do that. Um, or you could do the, the 10 build and breaks in a position that you're weak on and do less mm-hmm. than the ones that you're strong on because you don't need to focus on that. So a better allocation of time and resources. And yeah, that goes back into the, the structuring of things right and to be efficient mm-hmm. and resourceful because we all have our ceilings on what we can allocate to this, yeah. whether it be time or be financial, you know, the the question is always is it better to shoot rifle matches to train or is it better to take a pause in matches and um and focus specifically on training i had a i had a mentorship student um that was um so focused on shooting matches that they were like well i I mean i gotta shoot this one i gotta shoot this one i gotta shoot this one so i can't really fit anything in in between and i said well what's more important to you um 
continuing to repeat the same mistakes and only getting maximum of what 20 minutes of shooting time at a one day match or coming to the range and having eight hours of focused training and instruction on the specific tasks and skills that you're displaying deficiency in because you can only do so much um, to a to apply lessons learned without training them like if you go to one match and you're like man my my debrief points were this i'm looking for these solutions and you don't have any time to train on them it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to have effective application of those corrections in another match right under those time yeah it's not going to happen i mean it will happen but it's going to take a long time for you to do that because you have all of these other stressors that are layered on top um well, that's, that's go, go, go ahead, James. Cause I know you got something well, to say. Yeah. I mean, that kind of ties into a lot of people suggest going into competitions very early on. And I, I've always been kind of torn at that sediment where it's like, well, it kind of depends on what level of a shooter you're at. Right. Cause if your technical proficiency or your fundamental proficiency is quite low, there's gonna be a lot of negative reinforcement yeah right and it's like hey yeah you'll you the other aspect of it is a lot of people like well how do i prepare for a match how do i prepare for a match and i was like well you kind of just need to go shoot a match get skull drug and figure it out and you know you're gonna get this light bulb moment of like oh that's what i need to train on and that's different but it's yeah it's a balance of are you proficient enough as a rifleman to even go into that? And then that probably goes all the way back to just sheer safety too. You know, somebody, I don't know, it would kind of scare me if somebody bought or bought, built one of these crazy gamer guns and they got a four ounce trigger and they don't have any trigger discipline. And you're like, Oh, you really haven't like earned. I, I hate using the word earn the right, but you're not wrong though. You need to have a reverence for, that low of a trigger be and i don't think even a lot of really good competitors they never did that and you can Mm -hmm. tell because they're tapping and it's like man your trigger control kind of like kind of blows like you you need a lot of work on that and i'll like and i think i've told that to a couple students in the last few classes is hey your trigger is is probably too light you should dial that thing up and then incrementally decrease it where you can't even notice the uh, decrease in weight that you apply to it. And eventually you'll get, if you really want to shoot a four ounce trigger, you'll eventually get to that point, but you'll be able to marry your finger on that and, and apply some pressure and it not go off and come off yeah. the trigger safely. But if you exactly. just jump from never to going to that, it's like, you're not going to ever learn that you know, or, or you'll well, very dangerously learn it through in probably many months. You, and you don't understand the psychology behind something as simple as pressing a trigger mm-hmm. because there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, that one singular sure. act. Um, there's way more layers to that onion than you no, can I, even yeah. imagine. And you're not wrong. Like, so the safety aspect of things, it's a very, that's a very legitimate statement because people are getting into this sport that have never had any, you know, formal firearms, you know, safety education. And that's a huge thing. It's like, Hey, what's the, what's the overall goal? Well, first and foremost, we got to be safe. 
you got to be safe because you're playing with you're playing with a, a tool that can take a life and so that's a really important thing to remember um, and I think a lot of times you know people just get super lackadaisical with that and they take it for granted and uh, that complacency you know we all know that complacency is going to going to get you one day uh, it's just going to be a matter of time so people don't realize the amount of um, you know even somebody that's pretty experienced on the bench right Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, the amount of layering of the, you know, the tactics or the, just the sheer movement. And it's like, how many people don't know how to move with a rifle from point A to point B safely? That's right. a, you know, and that's something that y'all, it's good that y'all address that, um, yeah, right on, important. um, in the beginning of the classes there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's typically with like athletes you'd look at the competition as a means to test the efficacy of the actual training that you're doing and so you'd you know evaluate the athlete what do they need input or develop a program implement it try or i believe that you should have metrics in place to in the interim track if there's maladaptation or adaptation so is it a positive or negative change and correct those little micro changes and then you really test it in competition Mm -hmm. and i mean hey even if you want to play the game as far as like rankings go it's like what do you uh, you need three matches right and it's like well Mm -hmm. that's you know you have a you know a few months in between each match that you could shoot that you could be really hammering great training and you could come back to each one of those matches and really uh really shock people and what you're doing yeah. there yeah you don't you you with focus training i mean as long as i do believe that there's something that goes with you know being um accustomed to shooting a competition right because there's this there's the there's the the stressors that are coming along with that of you know um lanny talks about that in his book quite in depth it's like hey there's there's people out there that are that they perform great in training, but when it comes to the actual, you know, competition itself, they don't perform well. And that's a, that's a disassociation or, or an imbalance between the three aspects of the self-image, the uh, conscious thought and the subconscious thoughts. And so there's an imbalance in between the three of those. Um, and, that's worth discussing in a whole other podcast episode in itself, but um, you have to shoot competitions so that way you know what to expect, right? It's like yeah, a, you want to inoculate yourself to it. Yeah, you want to do your best to inoculate yourself to it because, like, I mean, Philip, I can't even, I can't, I can't even imagine like what kind of pressure um, you were under when you knew that every single stage on that final day of that finale, every single stage that you continued to shoot and clean, you were like, probably in your mind, you're going, I would love to know what you were thinking. Like, were you thinking, man, if I clean one more stage, I'm going to shoot a totally clean match or am I, I'm clean all the way up until this point. Were you even thinking about that or were you thinking about something else? That's a great question. I, I, uh, I, I often, I often think about that. And so I think I always tell people that my biggest distraction was actually my dad. It was the first time that my dad had kind of showed up to an event and it was down in Texas. And so, you know, it was the first time he was able to kind of truly see me. Uh, I would just say second time, uh, second time to see me in my element. 
first time he actually came when I shot down at rifles only after I graduated cyber school, Jacob actually let him come and, and park his RV and he, he came oh, to hang awesome. out with me. Yeah, yeah, 2011. And then fast forward to 2018, it was the first time that my dad and I had connected after I got out of the Marine Corps. He was able to see kind of what I do now that I had transitioned out and was a competitive shooter. Uh, so that was cool. So I'd shoot a stage uh, you know, do my post shot process and then just end up talking to him. And, um, he kind of took my mind off of the competitive aspect, but yeah, like when I started like maybe like five or six stages in, I was like, holy crap, I'm clean up until this point. And, um, again, my only expectation for going to that match in my head was, I just want to see how well I stack up in uh, amongst the, the top competitive shooters in the nation because at that point I had that was my first PRS finale mm -hmm. and um by the time I got to my seventh stage or sorry uh my eighth stage I cleaned that the ninth stage of that day um was um the ninth stage of that day was probably the hardest stage that um was in the match at least from what I have shot up to that point because the squad in front of me, the, the only, we were kind of like backlogged. There was like 15 shooters per squad. So by the time that we got to the ninth stage or my ninth stage, there was a whole squad in front. And so they got their stage brief and we, we pretty much got the, our stage brief with them. Mm -hmm. So I watched all 15 of them shoot. And then for my order, it was, I was like one of the last ones in the squad. Sweet. So I watched like 24 people. <laughs> shoot this stage in front of me and people were timing out right like you get and again you got the best uh competitors and it was 10 shots um one one target or 10 positions one target right so people were were timing out and and um you know dropping shots and whatnot and um this is where uh guy richard dias uh, i actually just saw him at the finale again he, he kind of fell off the radar for a little bit but you know um he you know so i you know we just do the typical talk he looked at me, he's like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm I, I told him, I was like, I, I'm clean up to this point. And uh, this next stage has got me like feeling like I'm going to fuck it up. And he just looked at me, he's like, dude, just treat it like your first stage of the day. And I was like, it just completely shifted my mindset, right? And I went up there and um, I cleaned it and I had like maybe like six or seven seconds left. Um, fast forward three years later, I went to that same exact stage and I could not recreate it. So you were, yeah, you were in, you were obviously in flow state. Right? I was, yeah. That, that entire day, right? You were, you were, you were flying in flow state that entire day and you, it's really hard to, to recreate those things because, you know, especially at that level and three years, three years later, your priorities aren't the same. Um, the, uh, your, your, your work ethic is still the same, but your priorities are different. And so therefore, you know, you're not giving, you're not giving those skills, the attention that you did, you know, three years prior. And that's, that's normal. That's, I think that's completely normal and unacceptable. I mean, you know, when I was, when I was flying airplanes regularly, it was nothing to, um, it was nothing to land an airplane without, um, without any bumps. Like I would pride myself on being able to, to, to just fly and drive an airplane right to the runway. And I didn't want my passengers to feel anything. It didn't always work out that way, but you know, if, if I were to fly an airplane today, 
my landings wouldn't be like that. <laughs> I would need to work on my landings a little bit more um, to, to be able to get into that flow state and have the connection with the airplane and my, and my physical body and my mental body. So yeah, man, I think that's totally acceptable um, because it's just your priorities aren't the same and you're moving and you're doing different things. So, but it's amazing to feel that, to feel that flow state, that flow state feeling for sure. Yeah. And, th and that's one thing that I, I haven't given myself enough grace with, because I, I definitely, I know I'm hard on myself when it comes to that. Right. Just like this previous season, um, in terms of, you had asked me a question during one of our, uh, you know, one of our talks, like, do you think that the PRS finale, this most recent one affected like your self image? And I would tell myself no, but the reality of it is it did. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, looking back to, again, deciding at the very last moment in, uh, in September of the last year, like, okay, hey, I'm going to get my PRS membership, shoot my three matches and make the finale, right? In my head, I'm just telling myself, I'm only doing this to stay relevant, right? I know I can't compete at a very high level. I have other priorities that I want to attend to, right? Um, such as, you know, being a father, trying to grow a modern day sniper. And, um, you know, I shot really well uh, at my first match, got third, uh, at the Nut Crusher, went to KRG's match, got sixth, had a really awesome day two. I think I only dropped like three points on day two. Um, and then shot uh, with, you know, again, some of the, the best competitors um, at MPA's match. Um, you know, Ben Gossett, Austin Orgain, Austin Bushman. And I, like, I felt pretty good going like shot with shot with them, um, you know, in terms of like, okay, like I haven't, I know I haven't shot as much as them in the last year, but the fact that I'm able to keep up with them, like it just, you know, obviously just, I, it felt really well, felt really good. And then I went to the finale and we're just like, no impact, no idea. Right. And so, you know, it crept into my head that like, well, what am I doing? Right. Like what, what am I doing to spend all this time away from, right. Cause like once you start getting to that flow of competitive state, right. Like that, that becomes like, it becomes an obsession, you know? becomes an obsession in terms of like doing low development and making sure that the, your rifle's dialed in and you know what things you can try to control so that when it comes time to actually shoot you can perform your best and you know completely like trying to block out any kind of distractions right to can be able to compete at a high level and um it it became very discouraging obviously when i didn't perform the way that i wanted to you know, and I had to like pull myself back and realize, like, remember, like, hey, you know, you're only there to like show up and, and show face to show that, like, hey, you still have a presence in this community. You know, so I had to, t I had to remind myself that versus like trying to think that I could, you know, win or even just do well, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm still working on that, that piece of like giving myself grace because obviously, like, I do want to do well, right? I think we all do want to do well. And, and one of my biggest, one of my like biggest pet peeves is when a competitor lies to themselves. It's like, oh, I'm just here to hang out with my buddies, right? Like, as like, it's like their immediate scapegoat answer when they start shooting like shit. It's like, dude, you didn't spend $4,000 to come hang out with your buddies, yeah. right? You came here to compete at a rifle match. Like, and to be honest with you, like you could go hang out with your buddies at a non-shooting event. And I promise you, you probably have a lot more fun. Cause I, I know that when I hang out with my buddies, with a non-shooting event, I have a lot more fun than right. at a shooting event. Yeah. Cause I mean, you're, 
yeah yeah. yeah at that point just just be a, a, an ro <laughs> no there's there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that man i mean yeah it's uh it's not cheap to go do that and you're not going there just to you know spend you know three to four grand just to hang out and shoot the shit with your friends in a hundred something degree heat or you know other otherwise miserable conditions right so we're not going to go hang out in the texas sun you know just to stand around and bullshit so um yeah there's a there's a lot of truth to that i'm i'm really pretty excited to see your um your journey through your kaylin being you know really shifting gears and trying to be more Mm -hmm. competitive i mean I, i know in the last one we talked a lot about like the intent of a why you're going to uh compete as an individual mm-hmm. and that there's at least to me there seems to be the two different categories you know people who want to become better riflemen via using competitions and those who are there more because of their competitive nature and they are trying to become they want to be better riflemen to be better competitors you know mm-hmm. to kind of end and results there and you being a a a hunter and a teacher in the space there's a lot of different systems that you use and going into like the specificity of competition and really fine-tuning yourself to that specific system and that cartridge and and there's you know there's concessions that you would make to run a magnum better than that you don't have to with a like a br variant and Mm -hmm. you not only buy yourself stuff with that but it allows you to have better precision, better accuracy with it too. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious to see where that overlap starts, where the benefit of competing and the betterment of being a rifleman from competition starts to, when the focal point starts to pull that, the overlap of like that Venn diagram of those Mm -hmm. two, where you have Mm -hmm. lots of common ground, and then you have the specificities of both and at what point you see it almost pulling too far away or if it ever does. Yeah. I think, um, I used to, I used to think that way. And I meaning that there's, um, there's specific skills that apply and don't apply. And I think that was one of my, my major like psychological roadblock roadblocks. And now i I don't think that way. I mean, shooting is shooting. And the, the difference in the different parts of shooting is just you're, you're solving different problems at different rates of speed. Um, and, it, you know, if you don't think that being a, a, an active competitive shooter and, and a proficient competitive shooter isn't going to benefit you as a hunter, man, you're so sorely mistaken. It's ridiculous because it doesn't matter whether, okay, yeah, in competition, I might be shooting a 20 plus pound rifle to quote unquote, play the game, but I'm still doing the physical act of building a shooting position with that rifle. And in turn, those neural pathways are going to, they're going to transition. They're going to do the exact same thing, whether it's a hunting rifle. Now the nuances of recoil management are going to be different with a, a lighter weight, heavier recoil and rifle, but the physical act and the unconscious work, the work that we've done to submit those or commit those physical acts into the subconscious is going to translate whether you're shooting, you know, a competition rifle or whether you're shooting a hunting rifle. Um, we just have to change gears 
when the time comes to change gears and the fundamental flow of, hey, we're going to do this differently with applying pressures because this one's a lighter gun and so on and so forth. But you, you can't hamstring yourself. You've actually, you've got to just accept it and say, okay, well, you know what? Like I'm building the same skills regardless. So like for me this year, I'm, I just want to see if I can do it. Like, I just want to see if I can do it and, and apply myself and, um, and make it happen. And I know that every time I've like in the Northwest, in the Northwest region here, there's only a couple of shooters that I haven't, that I haven't beat. And it's, I've always just kind of popcorned around and said, Oh, I'm going to go shoot that match with my buds. Um, some of my friends are there and, um, you know, I'm doing the scramble last minute game and, and I don't really focus on training and, you know, the training that I am doing is, um, is in a different capacity. It's still shooting, but it's in a different capacity. And then the stress of being at a competition, um, you know, the self-image view of saying, Hey, you know, I'm co-founder of modern day sniper. People expect you to do well. Um, that all of those layers, all of a sudden, when you get to that event or when I would get to that event, I'm like, damn it. I'm, I'm, I don't really feel prepared. And this year I want to make a focused effort of feeling prepared. And I think that, um, once that happens, I think that flow state is going to be able to just slide right back into place. And I have no, I have no qualms or no questions that, um, that it won't be, I mean, it's not going to be easy per se, but it will be effortless in that regard. I'm looking forward to it and I'm up for the challenge. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't mean to lead on that. Those two, there comes a point where there's like zero overlap between those. I, Mm -hmm. I guess that was a bad way of articulating that. But if you, I'm like, how often do you shoot a like dedicated hunting rifle currently? Um, or do you like, well, do you go out before the season and say oh, like, absolutely. Hey, I'm going to like really shoot this, my seven yeah. Psalm or PRC. And I'm just going to shoot yeah. that. I um, didn't shoot a whole lot of NRL hunter matches this past season. Actually, I didn't shoot any of them this past year. Um, but pretty much like the beginning, like late spring, early summer, um, the hunting rifles are coming out They're They're getting cleaned up and, and I'm starting to shoot them. Um, I had two, I was shooting a six, five Creedmoor and a seven Somme, but now I've got, um, now I've got a seven PRC and a seven Somme and a six, five Creedmoor in hunting, in hunting configurations. And I, and I make sure to shoot those. Um, and I do a lot of one shot stuff with those. I mean, I'll take the rifle out and I'll put one round in the magazine. I'll walk up to the firing line and pick a target and say, okay, that's the target. And I'll either, you know, I'll usually do some sort of um, positional shooting type scenario where it's like, hey, here's a rock or a tank trap, whatever the case is. And it's just that one shot. It's saying, okay, this is the this is the animal that's presented to me. It's a two minute of angle target and make a wing call, build a position and break a clean shot. And so that's kind of where I train at, you know, on a consistent level with hunting rifles. Um, But then you know, you can run the same drills and, and do tripod work and all that stuff. But like, that's really what it boils down to as a hunter, right? It's that one shot. It's just having that one confident, that confidence shot and building that, that self image, that visualization of watching that bullet hit the target. Um, 
and having good solid positive imprints because it's all about confidence, right? When you see an animal in the field and you say, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that shot. Okay. Now we have to get into the process of making that shot happen. And that's, it's only what you get one. I mean, you don't always get one try, but, um, that's really where we want the focus to be is that one shot. Yeah. And so, and, but that is a little bit, again, there's like, there's a ton of overlap there, right? Mm -hmm. We do, you know, the first shot in a PRS match is, is pretty dang important, right? Mm -hmm. Or the first shot of every stage is pretty, pretty important. First shot of a new position, pretty important. Those all certainly add up, but let's say, you know, well, it sounds like you really want to entrench yourself into the competition world and being a competitor and like identifying as a competitor versus someone just showing up to Mm -hmm. a competition. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that that then requires to, you said early or late spring, early summer, you bring out the hunting rifles and you start doing those drills. Mm -hmm. But if during that time, those rifles need to stay put away and you continue on a very um, intensely focused PRS style training, I guess that's what I mean is if there's going to be and like, again, like no, you're still I, pressing I, a trigger, you're still building a position. You're still sure. So much is still very similar, but there is, it is a little bit different, you know? And, but I'm, I'm just curious to see if there will be, um, when you jump back into, cause obviously you're going to hunt this year mm-hmm. when you do say, Hey, I'm turning Hunter on now. Right. If it will be easier to transition, if it will be as easy as a transition, or if it will take, hey, I actually I need a I need some more volume, you know, and and hey, sure. maybe I'm just condensing that volume because the timeline is more condensed now. That's what that's more what I meant, and I'm really curious to see uh, not only your progression in training and and what you ultimately decide to do to train. Um, and would love to be involved in that. Yeah, no, I think I, I would, I would love to have, I would love to have, you know, any feedback. I know, um, Philip talked about, you know, pushing some drills towards, towards my way and, and, uh, helping me out from that point of view, which I'm always absolutely open. I want to learn as much as I possibly can. But as far as the hunting rifle stuff, I think because I'm not as limited by time as, as other people are. Yeah. So like, you know, I can take my hunting rifles out and just, I put them in the truck and before I start a training session, that'll be my first shot, right? That'll be the, you know, that'll still be that, that part of it. So I can break up my training. Yeah. 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 And and that's a, that's a really, that's a important point right there. Cause that is, that's, that's very different than a lot of people, right? It's sure. A lot of, you know, like you were talking about with that um, mentoree, you know, they really only have the resources to allocate to either a competition per month or a training session per month or, you know, if I'm, <clears throat> or maybe yeah, it, was it was a couple times a month. Even more of that. Yeah. It was even more like, you know, I got to shoot this match and uh, he's got to shoot this match. And I was just like, well, does he have to, or would it be more beneficial for performances in the future to just not use yeah take a weekend off and and instead of no dude really like literally every weekend 
there's a there's a couple of there, there's a couple of guys up here um, in the Northwest. I'm sure every region, obviously, but um, that's that's literally what they do. They just every single weekend um, is they're shooting uh, a rifle match. So I think there's definitely something to be said from the stress inoculation aspect of that. Um, but when it comes to um, progress, using a match to train is not the best is not the best way to do it like having a having a focused training regimen is really really important well the i mean the competition field now is i mean and i've only been in a in a very short period of time and i feel i feel like i've progressed and very rapidly and and feel pretty breath blessed that or i don't i don't know if i would say blessed it's like yeah, i put in a lot of work too mm-hmm. to get yeah. there but there are a lot of guys that have been, you know, they've been, or sorry, even in my very short period of time, it's made quite a substantial jump in how competitive the field is. And I know Phil is talking about that from when he started competing versus now and, and how much it's evolved. But there, it, it you know, it's, if you just maintained your own skill set, you would quickly move down in the rankings. And mm-hmm. so you had to continually be progressing. So almost even just maintaining your ranking, it's like, hey, you're still progressing. Yeah. But you got to do, like, if you're not on it, you're going to become obsolete pretty quickly with the mm-hmm. new, just every year, the new wave of, or every season, the new wave of shooters that are coming in and how intelligently they are training and the, the, the gap that's getting closed with accessibility of gear and how good gear is on, you know, the, the middle to high, you know, it's not this, you know, it's not this huge difference anymore that you're really limited. Mm -hmm. Uh, The accessibility of cartridges. Now you can get, you know, I, I, I I hate saying gamer cartridges because it's like, I'll like, I would go shoot a whitetail with my six BRA and have no, no no problem with that at all. Yeah. It's a very efficient cartridge. Like, why wouldn't I, um, but with the factory availability of like six GT and it's like, all right, yeah. you're pretty dang close to a BR variant there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, that whole gear gap is closing very rapidly. Um, and I, I do think the next step is it, it's hard to envision gear getting, so much better than it already is because it's right, so yeah. you go like where so where could good. it possibly go yeah but that's there. what we all think until like you know i'm sure we yeah. all had nokia phones and we're like how much better could this thing get it's teeny and now we have super <laughs> computers have... in our back pocket and... exactly but yeah the gear it's... is a it's interesting because it's a that is a great question like how much better I mean, realistically, well, realistically, like, right, like the rifle that's behind you right now on the wall, um, if years past, that would be considered um, a bench rest gun, right? That would be considered a bench rest gun. Um, a rifle that weighed 25 pounds or more is clearly, a, if it was a six millimeter, it was a bench rest gun. Hey, and man. A lot of shooters. This is 19 no, pounds. Sure. Yeah. First <laughs> of all, <laughs> I don't run a 25 plus. No, and that's so, my own issue as far as so, what you've mentioned before. Of like, I kind of refuse sure. to run a gun that heavy, and I, I don't know it. why. There's no reason. That's fair. That's fair. No. 
Um, it's really just like that's what the weight ended up being in that configuration. I wasn't shooting for a weight or anything. If it had sure. been 25 pounds, I would have been like, all right, I'm lugging a 25-pound gun around. Sure, um, sure. Well, you got to, go like, the well, the, the we used to scoff at the bench rest guys to so just be like, ah, oh, that's not shooting. And now that that whole mindset has come full circle. We've I've talked about this in the past where it's just like, you know, now we're shooting bench rest cartridges um, that were generally only, you know, 30, 40 years ago, that was strictly a, that was strictly a bench rest cartridge or uh, an F-class cartridge, not even an F-class cartridge, a 6BR. No, uh, no an F-class gun, you need more, you need more um, resistance, wind resistance from the projectile. So it's usually a larger cartridge, larger caliber. Um, but now like everybody's shooting a bench rest gun. If it's 20 plus pounds, it's in the category of being a bench rest gun. And now we're having guns that are manufactured to bench rest level accuracy. Like I'm not pretty easily too. I, I don't want my right. gunsmith to be like, well, you know what, man? Um, I didn't give your chamber, uh, the bench rest job, but, uh, you know, that's extra. No, that's not the way it works. It's like, you know, you're the, <laughs> the gunsmiths are building accurate rifles these days that are, it's just madness how accurate they are. And so now it's just being a better competitor. It's the mindset. It's keeping the mental game um, on lockdown, not allowing it to get away from you, um, being in complete control for every single pr every single pr trigger press that you make, and um, and being able to be a good competitor and and problem solve effectively. And uh, you know I, that's the cool part about the whole thing. Yeah, that's the next big evolution that we'll see is people certainly like 100% focusing on the mental side, which if people weren't in the community this last year, it was a, a tremendous focus. That was like, that was the whole focus point is the mental side of it. And I don't think anyone who contributed or was a part of that process would would not agree that it was of massive value and um, probably have some pretty awesome testimonies that they can, um, uh, that they could bring forward and, and show that as proof to it. Uh, but yeah, I think that, and then the training side of it, you're going to see people start taking training a lot more seriously towards it and the mental side of it, they, they're going to make, no, this isn't some spiritual weird stuff. Like this is important. You know, this well, is, yeah, and, we and need to focus have, on it. You won't have the ability not to, right? The, 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 the competitive field will be so, so deep and so, so stacked, stacked that, that you won't, won't have, have any choice, choice but to, uh, but to go that route. Just generically speaking, how good competitors are. It's yeah. insane when you, if you were to, you know, we talked about this a little bit of like, in what percentile, you know, to even think that us three are at, um, yeah. but even just a, even a, a low pack, you know, competitor. It's like, if you're in that bottom quarter mm -hmm. of the competition, you are still miles ahead oh, yeah. of the average American who owns a scoped rifle. Yep. Right. I mean, it's 100%. I mean, heck, if you can just validate your own trajectory, 
know the speed like an accurate speed of your projectile and Mm -hmm. and have the capability to even shoot out to a thousand yards but do it in a more um competition setting like you are you are way above the average person there no no i would agree with that just because um you know, the, the level of knowledge that the average shooter has today is obviously far greater than it was 10 years ago. Um, but it's still in comparison, it's like what, what can be done with a rifle nowadays is pretty impressive. You know, talking to, um, talking to some, some guys like my, my, the guys that put me through all of my training as a young, as a young Padawan sniper, like, saying hey yeah thanks man (laughs) these guys were these guys were from the civil war then like i said in class um no like going through and saying hey i'm going to give you an example of like hey this is what the first stage of the day looks like um at this particular event and i read you know i kind of set the tone you know two minute of angle targets first targets at 980 yards uh 18 mile an hour winds blowing at anywhere from 70 to 90 percent value Um, and I've got two minutes and 10 shots and five targets, you know, and they're just like, holy shit, like for real. And I'm like, yeah, man, for real. Like, that's like, I dropped one point on that stage and other dudes clean it. So, um, the level of, of skill that is out there today is pretty, pretty scary when it comes to the proficiency level. And so like, um, like telling law enforcement guys, the same thing. You're just like, why, why do we, why do we have you guys shoot out to the distances that we do? Well, number one, it's a confidence builder, but number two, if you look at, you know, the amount of it, just the sheer amount of information that's out there free on the YouTubes. Right. And then shooters that have that level of proficiency, you could have a very, very serious problem on your hands, you know, one day you know what I'm saying? Like from a, from a, from a counter sniper perspective, like that's a bit, that's a very serious problem. Like if somebody wants to control an Avenue of approach with a scoped rifle and they have even just a little bit of understanding of how to build a concealed position, you're not going to find that dude. You're going to find that dude for a while. Right. And it's, it's a long ways off. So um, those things are all very real in, uh, in the year 2024 now. So, and that's, you know, kind of going back to what you said about the people used to scoff at the, at, Hey, that's a bench rest cartridge. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very silly. If you don't look at the competition realm mm-hmm. and how it's evolving and adapting, how you can run a rifle and mm-hmm. how, and then, you know, obviously you know, what a professional might need to take from it versus a hunter can be different, but there's a lot of common ground as we were speaking about earlier. There's a tremendous, there's way more common ground than there's not. So James, what can I expect from a training plan? What can you expect from a training plan? What can can I expect from a training plan from, from James? From me to you? Yeah. Oh, there's going to be like an You're gonna evaluation put some, we're gonna, phase. Yeah, we're going to do some beta testing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would be, you'd certainly be a um, a fun one to do it with because you are at a incredibly high level. 
And so we got to figure out what works with somebody at your level there. And, uh, you know, similar situation with Phil there is, Hey, it's you're You're in a, and a little bit of an unknown territory as far as the experimentation phase on what's going to work. So that will be really cool. Um, but yeah, I would, uh, I think it will, I think it'll be pretty cool. We'll see. Obviously you have an unlimited or it seems like an unlimited availability in range time too, or your, your range is right down the road, right? Yeah. It's it's right down the road this time of year, this time of year, weather conditions can be a limiting factor. Like, you know, um, if it's foggy, like my range sits kind of at the head of a valley at about 2,200 feet. And, um, if we have any kind of inversion that's happening in the valley, the layer of, of, fog is always right there the middle of the fog layer is right at like 2000 2500 feet so it can get socked in for quite some time this time of year but i do have access to dry fire i do have access i mean i live out in the country so um i can i can run around dry fire off tripods and off rocks and do all this stuff so well yeah i certainly um, think or i'm a big believer in dry fire at least um but yeah, I think it would, and it would be cool to kind of document it and put it out if we wanted to do that. Well, so here's here's my plan. So the the plan is is that all of my all of the training and evaluation that I do, um, along with my performance journal recordings, I'm going to document that for the modern day rifleman advantage. So that's going to be an added bonus for for students this year. That's going to kind of be like our um, an, an augment to our our guided practice sessions i'm going to go through and i'm going to debrief either a training session um, or a match and so um, uh, all the guys in the advantage program gals in the advantage program can expect that and so i think uh i think it's going to be a really cool addition and i think it's just going to add another layer of value to that to that training package and i'm going to go through my this this year's journey of training on the advantage so that way those those subscribers can see exactly what i'm doing and how i'm doing it yeah if there weren't if there wasn't already enough reason to jump in there this would be a that's a big uh that's a big one right there that's worth it alone right there but i mean yeah i would say there's an evaluate yeah we certainly would need to do like evaluations and like set baselines and figure out like okay well what do we what do we uh starting with and then develop a uh, metrics washed out there. Yeah, it's it's our daily training plan. There you go. It's our nice. daily training plan. And then, uh, yeah, we need to figure out what metrics are important, like trackable metrics are important for you, and how often mm-hmm. we're going to implement those based off of your training regimen, how many days a week you're going, or uh, days a month, or, you know, how, whatever mm-hmm. the the frequency ends up being. And then, like I said, I like to do the, I like to test um not like a full-blown competition but depending on your competition frequency it sounds like that's going to be ramped up use that to actually to to test and then mm-hmm. uh, adapt program and re-implement if changes need to be made and that was yeah. that's basically like the outline if we were to like write it out there mm-hmm. what it would look like it. and then I the workouts it. would be kind of dictated more by um uh, very similar or not very similar to, but are going to be influenced by what your like current workouts look like. Uh, mm-hmm. cause we don't want to go way over the top with 
you know, volume and intensity if we don't need to. And then we mm-hmm. don't want to be way underneath it. If you, if you've been training at this level of intensity at this frequency and this volume per workout, then it's like, well, you know, if you're shooting a hundred rounds of training session, I'm not going to be like, well, here's 10, you know, that's yeah. not going to be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. and that's not really going to work right there. Yeah. But if so... you're shooting 40, you know, we don't want to jump straight to hundred rounds because it's unnecessary. Sure. There's a lot yeah. of, low hanging fruit or uh, meat on the bone before we got to start yeah, all the bump into crazy numbers. All the sticks are getting deep cleaned right now. Um, I'm shooting three cartridges this year. Well, I'm going to have three always basically always set up in the event, but I think the, the majority of the cartridge that the majority cartridge I'm going to shoot this year is a six, five Creedmoor. And I'm going to shoot that with 153 grain a tips. And That'll so, make sense with the hunting transition too, because you said you had yeah. a hunting configuration in that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So will yeah. you be, will you shoot a bullet or a projectile very similar to the one fifty three eight tip as you're hunting? We do no. I'll shoot it in the six and a half millimeter. I'll one forty three. Yeah. LDX, and then in, yeah. The, in the seven millimeter, I'll jump up to a one seventy five ELDX for hunting. But um, what yeah, do you think so, about the? That's kind of a good point as far as like learning a single projectile. That's people who jump to cartridges all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there's, I think there is definitely something to be said for that. Uh, Phil and I had that conversation um, on our drive back from, from Altus to, uh, uh, to Mobile to fly out, but sticking with one, with one bullet is, is probably the way to go. And um, I mean, I definitely want to have the other ones on, you know, on standby as like backup guns. Um, so they'll always be ready to go. I'll always have loads developed for them. But I think that, uh, the, the goal is to stick with one cartridge and shoot it uh, with one bullet throughout the whole season, bolt and training as well, like shooting it in, 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 uh, in training classes. So yeah, like your uh, match load is your training yeah. ammo too, versus yeah. having two separate. Yeah. Uh, do you use a different rifle typically for classes? Um, you typically I do. Yeah, I do. Um, but lately I've been, uh, I've gotten the new coup de gras and I want, I want that out in front of people because I think it's an amazing action and I wanted to break this thing in and and get it ready to go. So I have been shooting that, but my training rifle is a six, five Greenmore, um, in an Archimedes action. And it's, uh, it's not in a C4, it's in a whiskey three. And so, um, I'll probably stick with that route and just use, use the, you know, use those barrels for, for that. But then, I mean, really a Creedmoor barrel is going to last, you know, probably about 4,000 rounds anyways. So a six, a six, five Creedmoor. So that's quite a bit. Yeah. That's a lot of training on a barrel. So, and I've got one, the, the one barrel that I have now is like right at 40, 4,200 rounds and it's just still one whole, one whole barrel. So keep shooting it. That's like the BRA. A lot of people yeah. been telling me to pull it off. It's time to pull it off, and I was like, "Man, it is. It's, nope. it's shooting the best it's ever shot." I feel like leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, the thing is doing well. Mm-hmm. It'll yeah. crash and burn on me in the middle of a competition, but uh, oh well. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Yeah, I got all the barrels deep cleaned, got them all broken out, pulled everything out of the stocks and the chassis rather, and got everything cleaned up. I'll put them all back together today and and uh, start training my first match of the season is uh february 3rd yeah th- february 3rd i think it is nice 
Yep. Got a tw- I think next Saturday is my first. Cool. Yeah, next Badass. Saturday and then one early February. Um, yeah, it is. That they're already yep. rolling February in. February 3rd. Two weeks, man. Two weeks from now. <laughs> Stoked. Right on, man. Well, this was fun. This is a good conversation. I enjoyed this. Yeah, always enjoy chatting with y'all. It's it's Absolutely. fun. Uh, What's very up with much Phil? Appreciated coming out to the glasses. That's been awesome. For sure, man. Absolutely. Anytime. We love having you. As soon as you as soon as you left, we were just kind of like, oh, James is gone. Yeah, and yeah, I was talking to <laughs> Phil about that. And I was like, watch, man. I'm gonna end up like really only being able to work for like a single day because of the weather and that's what i was like i worked a half day and i was like oh, is that what happened just, i should have just stayed that <laughs> yeah. happened figured out an ammo thing yeah no worries man well we'll see we'll see you again soon yeah yeah i already told i think i told phil a few of them that i'm interested in and i know y'all are rolling in more classes ongoing mm-hmm. it sounds like yep. so yep indeed this is a good cadre meeting we had the other day too or yesterday phil what you doing what you doing for training this coming week what you i gotta do? clean my guns i i have like i like five guns that i've shot over the last two months that just it's like uh that that one's pretty dirty right now so i'll just use this other one that i know is clean uh-huh. and so now and then you're gonna built... make that one dirty yeah so like <laughs> i've built up like five six five creed wars that are just like okay i, I gotta i actually so i i'm probably gonna clean guns this week and then i've got a bunch of ammo that i need to obviously fire form or just like just get them all i'm pretty i'm pretty like uh, ocd about like the whether uh for the process of the or like the number of firings each piece of brass has mm-hmm. you know like so in my reloading room i got everything kind of sorted out and so mm-hmm. Um, before I start, you know, getting into, okay, this is the rifle I'm going to shoot in. This is the the bullet. I just want to make sure that all of the brass that I have prepped is, um, is like, you know, already on the same firing. Cause like right now they're like mixed match where like half the lot is selling three times and the other half is like four times. It's like, okay. Now I got to work all through the three times and get exactly. them all up to, yeah, I hear yeah. you. That so, is a little, that that's a little OCD. Yeah. For sure. Um, so I'll probably I'll probably actually come up with uh, a training plan, um, you know, with uh, with James because I definitely want to again take the reins of of uh, helping you coach you through the uh, your you know competition season, um, which I'm excited about, right? Because it's like the first time that Kalen Wojcik has had a PRS number. <laughs> it is actually um, it's and, the first time I, I got a number. Poor poor bastards who are going to be competing in the amateur division. <laughs> um, so well, let's not put the cart before the horse. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And another thing too, you know, um, one thing that um, for the, for the listeners, especially those that are in the modern day Rockman advantage, you know, one of the things that we're going to try to do this year as well, uh, something that I just recently tasked James with uh, because I just, I just, love the way James's thought process goes with regards to, you know, specific techniques and kind of diving deeper into, right. To where it like challenges your thought processes is, um, is having James do, you know, task our modern day Rockman out every month with a, uh, non live fire guided kind of topic, right. Yeah. Where, um, you know, he'll look at some of our master classes and, you know, kind of 
guide them in terms of like, you know, diving deeper into that specific topic uh, with, with regards to like what has worked for our riflemen. Right. I think that is, um, one of the things that, you know, especially with the different body mechanics, different thought processes, different learning modalities that all of our riflemen have, um, and just seeing that, cause I learned a lot from reading into their comments, right. Mm-hmm. When we, we pose a specific topic, um, that I typically don't ever think of, right. Just because, um, we can easily get sucked into our own echo chamber sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of the, the guided discussions that James leads us through, um, yeah. for, for that month. That's awesome, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a freaking banner year in the, uh, in the advantage program. Uh, for those of you guys who are listening and you're kind of like, what's this advantage program? It's, that's our, our monthly subscription service. And when you get yourself in there through the modern day rifleman network, um, you're going to have access to not only this year's, you know, content that we're going to be putting out, but you're also going to have access to three years worth of content that we've already done and um, through the content vault that we have. And it, that library is just, it's massive. You, know, you go in there and you're just like, holy cow, I can't believe that we've, that we've done all of this stuff in the last three years. And it's uh, every month we do a guided technical discussion. Um, every month we do a guided practice session with a drill. And now I'm gonna be adding in my training sessions, uh, kind of like in a review and um, all other, like other exclusive content like, um, like load development processes and things like that. And, um, and then every month you get a live question and answer session. So, uh, plus access to the community itself, which is, um, which is a benefit in and of itself because we have such amazing people in the modern day rifleman network. It's so it's mind blowing, uh, the amount of, um, consistency that we have in there and the people that show up that are just discerning shooters looking to get good information and not get, uh, and not have to deal with all the other, you know, rabble rousers and, and, uh, you know, shit posters that are throughout the rest of the internet. So we kind of pride ourselves on keeping that community as clean as possible. Yeah. Not have to deal with like the regular social media headache of even just having a discussion that I get flagged. Like, I think it's every post I get flagged where it's like, you're condoning violence. It's oh like, yeah, oh, for sure. Gosh. And yep. we cannot, like, we can't show this to anybody, you know, like a typical. Mm-hmm. Well guys, this was a blast, man. So, um, those of you guys that are waiting to hear more from us on the podcast, you, you got it. We're, we're going to be podcasting quite regularly and, um, we uh we're looking forward to putting out more episodes for you guys and it's been it's been a lot of fun and um everybody's backfiring on all cylinders we've got a super super awesome year coming up with in-person classes we've got some new curriculum out there and we've got some new class descriptions that you can expect to hear from us on another podcast episode talking about what they are um and uh philip and i sat down and brainstormed um you know shooter ability levels to make sure that you are getting into the class that you that you need to be in and um, and not uh, kind of jumping ahead and making sure that that you're completely in line with where you need to be. And so we're going to go over that. And we just have a lot of really cool stuff coming in 2024 for you guys. Hey, oh, yeah. Cool. James, thanks for uh, your time this morning or this yeah, Saturday James. morning. Uh, I hope to uh, have you on more often and 
Uh, I'm excited to see what goals you have for yourself, whether they be professionally or shooting wise and, um, how we can help facilitate that, um, your goals. So appreciate all your contributions to the community. Um, and, uh, for you being just an awesome, awesome, uh, ambassador to the modern day rifleman, uh, community. Yeah. Heck me, man. I appreciate all, all your help, especially on the, the editing side. I know I probably bug you too much on that and you're very patient with walking me through premiere pro 13 times before I get one little element of it, but that's coming along great and definitely want to focus, uh, work with you and focusing on, you know, we discussed a social media, um, plan or ongoing what to do there and how to grow that. Definitely excited about the modern day rifleman advantage and contributing there and, and look forward to future classes and, and podcasts. Appreciate yeah. you all. Fantastic. Well, you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Deuces. <laughs>